Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of March 9th, 2021. And uh, I think this is episode 470. Am I right? Am I wrong? I forget. I lost track. Um, 470, that's where we're at. And we are officially live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. Uh, it's been a pretty quiet week as far as the paranormal is concerned, but we do have a couple of ginormous stories. Yes, that's a real word. I think it is. If it's not, uh, it is now. A couple of very ginormous stories breaking. Uh, well, really just one. Uh, the other one is uh, kind of evolving from a previous story. Uh, that's really our, our first story of the night. To kick off the show here on the Paranormal News Insider. So let me fix this. March 9th, 470. Jeez, I've got to update my show notes. All right, that looks better. So it's warm out here in Northeast Ohio. We actually cracked 50 degrees, and it's amazing. Windows down in the car. Uh, you're not freezing when you walk outside. It's amazing. Uh, not going to get too used to it because I know it's going to snow probably uh, again once or twice or thrice here in Northeast Ohio. But it's nice to to feel that spring is around the corner. The sun's out uh, a little longer. Granted, I think, isn't it next week we set the clocks forward? We spring ahead, I believe. Spring ahead. I think it's next week. So we'll have an extra hour of daylight coming up pretty soon. Um yeah, daylight saving, not savings. I think that's, uh, let's see. I'm going to verify that. Yeah, March 14th. So that's that's coming up. Be prepared. Great, lose an hour of sleep. Anyway, so tonight, yes, we're going to talk about, I don't know if you saw this or not, a big Bigfoot story and a, eh, a little lesser big Bigfoot story that's uh, we've kind of been kicking around the dirt for a little while down in Oklahoma. So we're going to kick that. Uh, we'll just jump into it. Why not? We're not going to talk about conferences, conventions, all that stuff. We're just going to jump into the news tonight. So, yes, Oklahoma talked about the story about a Bigfoot a hunt. They want to put it. Uh, into the actual as a law and you'd be able to go in and hunt a bigfoot but not to kill it of course not no they kind of backed off on that uh so yes earlier this year oklahoma state representative justin humphrey introduced bill hb 1648 to the oklahoma state legislature in order to establish a bigfoot hunting season the story didn't go too well for humphrey uh, pretty much everybody in everybody down there uh, just kind of sidestepped this. Nobody wanted to talk about it. It just kind of fell flat, and they just yeah they just kind of let it go. Uh, Humphrey really wanted to push forward with this. He's this is like his big his big baby. This is what he wants. Um, granted, again he uh, he emphasized that this is not about killing a Bigfoot. He just wants to uh, bring some awareness through Bigfoot, and uh, obviously it's, a, it's, it's all about money. Let's, let's just cut through it all. Uh, it's about selling licenses, you know, uh, just a, a corny little thing you can buy in a gift shop that says uh, Bigfoot hunting license, which I, I think you could buy those online already anyway. Um, yeah, to make a little bit of uh, money off the mythical creature, like a lot of other states do, uh, Little knickknacks. Uh, I know, uh, what is it? Oregon was using it as a fire prevention tool. Um, I forget Smokey Bear. He's he's old. But 
you know, a lot of states, a lot of even uh, states uh, and local communities use Bigfoot. I know here in Ohio, there's uh, quite a few different uh, parks that use Bigfoot in different ways to get people to come out to the parks and uh, enjoy the nature and enjoy the parks and hiking and trails and things that uh, maybe they don't normally get out to. But now that they know that there's uh, wooden cutout Bigfoots or Bigfoot, I don't know. I'm on the Bigfoot side. I think that's plural and singular uh, to get people out there. However, I think establishing a hunting season is kind of going a little too far, uh, whether or not your intention is killing or not. Uh, I think there's a little bit of confusion that that could create with the general public, uh, as well as people from other states. Uh, people hear this story. It could it can get out of control very, very quickly, um, just kind of like the Area 51 thing from uh, last year or the year before. Um, yeah, the bill never made it out of committee. Thank goodness they didn't even talk about it. Uh, but he says that his idea did its job by promoting tourism to south the southeast area of the state. So uh, I don't know who's traveling to uh, southeast Oklahoma, but uh, have fun. Uh, well, he thought he would uh, have to go through the state wildlife department to issue hunting licenses, which you do if you're going to uh, kill things that are managed by the state. You would have to go that route. Uh, he discovered since that his intent is not to kill he can uh, instead go through the state tourism department, which is uh, where he's going, which, you know, it makes no sense. I mean, why would you start out in the uh, wildlife department? Uh, I'm sure most people in the world relate hunting to killing of an animal. I mean, that those two terms kind of go hand in hand, hunting and killing. Uh, there is no license needed anywhere to track or stalk an animal. Well, I do it all the time. But uh, killing, taking, bagging, whatever you want to call it, uh, that does require a license because uh, these animals are managed in, in some fashion. Uh, they are counted. Uh, you know, deer harvest are counted in every state so they know how many are harvested uh, to kind of see how uh, the fluctuations are with the population. Uh, I can tell you here in Ohio, we're overpopulated with deer. And yeah, I, I don't know. Humphrey is, uh, he's a little crazy, but he's now working with state tourism officials to set up what he's calling Sasquatch Quest, which absolutely makes no sense whatsoever. Why would you talk about Bigfoot and then use the term Sasquatch? I don't know. Uh, the big rule is that Bigfoot must be captured unharmed and no one else could be injured, nor can any laws be broken in the process. That's the rules. So, yeah, Bigfoot has to be captured unharmed. And you can't injure yourself or anybody else or Bigfoot for that matter. And you can't break any laws. I mean, where's the fun in that? Uh, not just that, but how is that? How is that going to happen? Uh, I mean, just think about it. You know, Bigfoot's reportedly uh, six six to eight hundred pound creature. Uh, seems to be pretty intelligent. Uh, seems to be pretty strong. Uh, so I would say there's a degree of danger involved in this. Uh, you know, if Bigfoot is real, if that if you believe it, if you you don't, then you don't have anything to worry about. Uh, more than likely, if somebody does go after Bigfoot and Bigfoot is there. I think someone's going to get hurt. I don't see any way if the creature is real and is capable of doing the things that it's been documented of doing, uh, throwing large boulders, uh, huge tree stumps, six to eight hundred pounds. Uh, somebody's going to get hurt. And to make everything even worse, yes, if it wasn't bad enough, uh, there's money involved now. Yeah, money. So the original intent was to set aside $25,000 of state money as a bounty for capture. I'm sure the state loved that. Twenty-five grand 
as a bounty for capture. Uh, but now he says an upcoming Hollywood Bigfoot movie has pledged around $2 million. And another private business promised an additional $100,000. Yikes. So $2.1 million. Uh, the good thing is now the state will not have to flip the bill. And the bad thing is, is that money will attract people who are not just coming to Oklahoma for the scenery and fun. And it is going to cost people to uh, get, I'm pretty sure it's going to cost people to get a little out of hand. Um, but Humphrey says, we're having fun with it. He says, quote, we're having fun with it. It's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. Of course he is. Uh, but at the same time, I know a lot of people thought I was crazy. But I think if people chill out, they can see this could be a serious deal, bringing in a lot of money, a lot of tourism, unquote. Uh, meanwhile, the Oklahoma Department of Tourism has not commented on this at all. Uh, the good news out of this is that profits generated from the Bigfoot tourism campaign uh, will be used to maintain the state's lakes, parks, and roadways. So that is good. Um, but the rest of it is uh, pretty much garbage. Uh, but, uh, you know, having selling these little fake licenses, well, that's one thing. But uh, throwing out money and saying that, uh, you know, there's a $2 million bounty for Bigfoot, I think you're really going to cause a lot of problems with that. And hopefully the state steps in and says, uh, we can't do that. Or we shouldn't do that because that's just you're just inviting danger. Um, now, with that money, uh, again, to help the state's lakes, parks and roadways. And one confirmed plan is to allow businesses along State Highway 259A to sell annual Bigfoot tracking permits. So if you want to get one, um, I don't know when they go on sale. Uh, you could head down to any business along State Highway 259A, which uh, that highway runs through Beavers Bend State Park, and the profits from the sales would stay in the area. So Beavers Bend State Park. Now, this opens a, a can of worms. So state parks are generally highly regulated, not as regulated as uh, federal areas. And uh, a question in the chat room is, what stops you from killing a Bigfoot right now? We're really nothing. Uh, but uh, there's a good response in there, in the chat room as well, uh, a murder charge. So, uh, you know, that's always the big thing that everybody talks about is, yes, somebody goes and kills a Bigfoot. Then the big thing is, is trying to figure out what a Bigfoot is, how it's related to anything, and... If it's primate or close to human, uh, that's that's murder, uh, really premeditated, because if you had the intention of killing this creature. Uh, also, you're talking about state park or federal park, federal land uh, hunting without any type of permit is illegal. And, you know, I don't I don't know about it. It gets a little fuzzy when you're talking about. Uh, animals such as, um, you know, uh, animals that don't really, uh, you know, like wild pigs here in Ohio. You can take them. You don't have to have uh, a, a permit, but you still have to have a hunting license to kill or to take anything. So uh, I really think anybody who goes out and tries to kill one of these creatures, um, you know, you're dealing with a lot of legality. You're dealing with a lot of potential fallout from this, especially if people um, take it seriously and there is a discovery about this creature and find you know, that you, uh, your intention was to kill this creature. That's a legal nightmare from which you'll never recover. And I personally would not want to get involved in that. But yeah, good luck trying to kill an 800-pound intelligent creature like that anyway, um, although – you know, I think about it. We've uh, done pretty easy uh, killing of silverback gorillas in Africa. So, yeah. But again, that takes a lot of firepower and a lot of crazy people doing 
to do all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, killing a killing of a Bigfoot and things like that. It's there's it's just it's not even worth it. Um, I mean, people even say going out. And again, there's no there's no license. You don't have a license to stalk or do anything um, to watch animals. But if your intention is going out there and luring a creature, uh, that's also uh, borderline illegal. Illegal in some state parks. Uh, I know I've seen a few here in Ohio that you can't bait creatures. There's actual uh, verbiage about baiting creatures even for observations. So, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's a little tricky. Uh, but uh, hopefully Humphrey gets something out of this. I, I think let's just call it a day with the licenses and have fun with that. I think, you know, that money, maybe doing some uh, tours and posters or or signs or, you know, just have fun with it. But bringing crazy people with shotguns rifles and giant cages to try to catch this creature in the woods uh, you're just you're just going to cause a lot of problems you're going to cause a lot of trouble and i i don't know how you're going to do it without anybody getting injured or anybody getting shot or anything like that it's just it's just crazy so that being said our second story um, kind of leading in with this Humphrey debacle that uh, I guess I do agree with with uh, part of that. Uh, unfortunately, you could take a you could take hair, you could take tracks, which tracks seem to be the the biggest piece of evidence that anybody ever has. Uh, there's track castings all over the place. I have quite a few uh, in in my private collection. Um, you know, there's the, the butt cast, there's uh, hand casts, uh, but mostly foot casts of uh, purported Bigfoot. And, you know, none of that's good enough. None of it's good enough to prove that this creature exists. So, unfortunately, uh, personally, from my vantage point, it's uh, it's going to take a body to have to prove that Bigfoot exists. Ultimately, that's what it's going to take. And, and, and my guess is it's going to be Harry and the Henderson's type of uh, incident where somebody runs it over with a station wagon, or I guess now it would be an SUV, and uh, boom, dead body on the side of the road. That's really just what's going to happen. I've heard a lot of stories about semis supposedly hitting Bigfoot, um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how true that would be. That would really tear up any vehicle, semi or not. But uh, <clears throat> you know, that's how we gauge wild animals pretty much you know mountain lions are hit by cars um you know one of the more famous stories back in 2008 of a mountain lion that wandered all the way from the black hills of south dakota all the way across um some of the northern states here in the united states and uh we weaved its way through canada came back down into the united states and was ultimately struck and killed by a vehicle in Connecticut. So it traveled an extremely large distance. Uh, unfortunately, got hit by a car about an hour outside of New York City in Connecticut. But um, that's what happens. Things get hit by cars. And that's how we know that they're around. And it's strange. That's the other thing. You know, people always argue about, how come we never find bones of Bigfoot in the, in the woods? Well, when's the last time you've seen coyote bones or... Uh, bear bones, if you have bear in your area, it's pretty rare. Now, even deer, I've seen a few deer carcasses. Most deer carcasses you see are obviously hit by vehicles. I've hit one myself once. Uh, they're run off the road. But to see one in the wild die from disease or anything like that, it's pretty rare. So, and obviously deer are everywhere. But... Yeah, I think it's going to take a dead creature. Um, again, this that campaign is about capturing one, uh, but again, not injuring it. Seems pretty difficult, if not impossible. You know, we're talking about evidence here, proving Bigfoot exists. I, I think that would be better. 
instead of capturing a Bigfoot, capturing evidence of Bigfoot, I think would be much, much better. Granted, that would be uh, highly subjective uh, from what we've already seen, you know, even on the show talking for however many since 2008 uh, about all the crazy evidence that people have. And I saw somebody mentioned Rick Dyer in the chat room, the world's greatest squatch hunter. Um, if you remember back, speaking of 2008, yes, he was uh, half of the duo that had the Bigfoot in the freezer that fooled quite a few people. And it was a, a big story. Everyone's like, yeah, there's proof of Bigfoot. Yay, we've got it. Uh, but that story fell apart pretty quick. And in, in, uh, it was in September, beginning of September, they were supposed to debut it. And people were literally walking out when they saw these pictures. And it, it was just, it was, it was a train wreck. But yes, photos, videos, they have consistently failed to demonstrate any reliable evidence that the creature exists. A lot of things are faked. A lot of other things uh, we're not sure of because nobody really knows what these creatures look like. You, you have people who uh, are adamant that they've seen this creature fairly close and you talk to them separately and their eyewitness accounts are completely different of these creatures you know the descriptions are always different so it's weird you know what do these creatures actually look like nobody really knows i mean you could take the the best example of evidence uh video the patterson gimlin film I mean, that thing has created nothing but debate uh, people don't agree on it it's real it's fake it's real it's fake it's real it's fake Nobody can agree on that thing. Highly debated. Is it a genuine creature? Is it a person in a suit? We'll never know. It's going to live on forever. Uh, so even photo and video proof, no matter how shaky it is, still not enough. So what about DNA? That's where this next story picks up. DNA. Maybe that's a spot. That's where we have to go to. I've, my thing was always, uh, if I get in a tussle with Bigfoot, I'm just going to cut off a finger and run quickly. Um, very quickly. At least I got, you know, I'd have some DNA there, some blood, some tissue, some hair, and a good story if I live. But yes, DNA, it's, it's been a difficult road for DNA. Uh, it's only been 35 years since DNA has been used in court cases. That's really not that long. 35 years since it's been uh, eligible to be used in court cases, and that's changed quite a bit. Uh, thanks, CSI. Kind of ruined it a little bit. No, you can't uh, take a blood sample and in two minutes figure out who it is. It doesn't work that way. It's not that easy. Um, since we don't have a Bigfoot to take DNA from, we have nothing to compare any sample collected to. That's the big problem with uh, all these people claiming that they have skin or claiming that they have hair. Uh, it doesn't matter. We have nothing to compare that sample to. It always comes back, um, you know, we'll come back unknown primate pretty much. But that doesn't mean that it's a Bigfoot. It can mean a lot of things. So how could DNA ever be used to validate the existence of Bigfoot? Well, it's a big story this week. I don't know why it's not as big as it should be. This should be an, one of the top stories going on, at least in the United States. I mean, this is a big deal. If this is true, this is going to set the world on its ear. Cryptozoology will be taken seriously uh, cats and dogs are going to get along together. Uh, we're all going to be running around in the streets, uh, holding hands. Um, no, 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 no. Melba Ketchum is a fraud. Sorry, I'll just throw that out there. Melba Ketchum. Yeah. Nope. Uh, Brian Green tore that stuff apart. May he rest in peace. Um so environmental DNA, this is the big, the big tag word right now in uh, 
I don't say forensics, but like um, environmental science right now, environmental DNA. It's all over the place. Everybody's talking about this. Uh, this is the big, uh, the big tag word out there. Everyone's using environmental DNA for everything, it seems like. Uh, or eDNA, if you've ever seen that. The little E and the big DNA, that stands for environmental DNA. Uh, so it's an emerging new area of study. Uh, it's really come into fruition just in the last three to five years. It's been around for longer than that, but it, it seems like um, you can get like test kits for it pretty cheap. It's just paying for um, somebody to uh, sequence and compare it. That's where the money comes in. But uh, yeah, you can get your hands on environmental DNA test kits for different things, depending upon what you want to do. So what is environmental DNA? Let me explain it um, simply. So environmental DNA is basically uh, you're collecting from nonspecific sources. So you're not going up to a Bigfoot and pulling off its finger or you're not uh, taking tissue. You're not swabbing a glass of somebody's spit or anything like that. It's just basic uh, nonspecific sources. So uh, a scoop of soil, uh, a sample of water. Uh, even snow and air can be used for environmental DNA research. Um, so here on the show, we've talked about back in uh, 2019, Professor Neil Gemmel of the University of Otago, uh, he revealed his environmental DNA research project of Loch Ness to reveal that no large creature DNA was collected from the 250 water samples that he created uh, I should say, collected at various depths of the Loch Ness. He found a lot of other environmental DNA, obviously people. Uh, he found like sheep. He found deer, you know, common creatures that are, exist in the area, uh, all the way down to all the fish as well as plant life that lived in and around the loch. Now, obviously, some of the uh, eDNA collected were from birds, uh, birds don't live in the lock, um, but they fly over it, and sometimes they leave uh, things behind as they fly through it. Oh, I meant I meant feathers. You know what I meant. Um, so anything that is is around that area was collected in that water sample. So it's it gives you a, kind of a vague glimpse of what the DNA structure is in the uh, samples that you're collecting. Whether again, whether it's from soil, water. Uh, even snow and air. You're going to get a wide variety of samples from this. Um, yeah, and that sample uh, collection, that should have conclusively proven that Loch Ness Monster did not exist. And uh, unfortunately, the way they kind of came out and said it, because it was uh, eel DNA that was dominant in the lock, uh, they focused on that instead. And uh, that legend didn't even take a dent at all. As a matter of fact, I think it helped it because uh, it got a little bit more uh, focus on that thing. But uh, that's a very good example of environmental DNA uh, as it pertains to cryptozoology. Granted, he didn't do it for the Loch Ness Monster. He just did it for uh, as a DNA research for Loch Ness. So again, back to Bigfoot. What about Bigfoot? Why are people not talking environmental DNA samples to try and figure out what this creature might be? Well, it turns out that they are. But again, it's, it's not as simple as that. Uh, but the Travel Channel's Expedition Bigfoot team has collected soil samples that have provided some surprising results. And from the press release... Uh, it says, quote, during filming deep in the wilderness of Kentucky's Appalachian Highlands, eDNA collected from soil under a massive tree structure found by Dr. Mayer and LeBlanc uh, produced surprising and exciting results. Environmental DNA is the genetic material left behind by animals in the environment. Scientific analysis of these samples helps generate a snapshot of any living creatures. This revolutionary new tool is increasingly used to confirm the presence of elusive animals, unquote. Um, 
Miroslava Manguia Ramos, project manager at the UCLA California Environmental DNA Program, analyzed these soil samples collected on behalf of the uh, television show, Travel Channel's Expedition Bigfoot. And uh, again, she came up with some interesting results. Uh, her findings obviously showed human DNA. Uh, human DNA is pretty much everywhere. I don't care where you uh, dig, where you collect samples from, you're more than likely going to find human DNA, um, especially if you're not careful in the way you collect it. That's a totally different topic, but uh, human DNA is pretty much everywhere. We've been everywhere. Uh, we've ruined everywhere. And yeah, our DNA is is uh, all over the place. Um, but there was also some interesting stuff in the soil samples. Now, Ramos explains, quote, but what I found very interesting was that, yes, we have detected human DNA in the areas, but we're still seeing different primate DNA. There wasn't just one human primate. There are several different primates, some sort of primate relative that exists in the data. Pan troglodyte is a species of chimpanzee, which you would not see in the areas you're at. Again, Kentucky. Uh, it's a real head scratcher. It's important to note that the higher the detection, the more confidence we can say that whatever organism, whatever taxonomy we're looking at was apparent in the area. And in this case, we're looking at the pan genus or the chimpanzee genus. There's 3,000 reeds, unquote. Uh, so does this mean Bigfoot has been proven to be real through DNA analysis? No, not exactly. Uh, as exciting as it sounds, and it, it does sound really interesting, the way they put that together, um, basically saying that there's also chimpanzee DNA that uh, they cannot figure out what it is. Uh, there's still a lot of room for error. Again, eDNA is uh, very vague. Uh, all you're doing is collecting it, disseminating it, and comparing it to known samples. It's not precise. It's not an exact science. It's pretty close. I mean, it's it's not it's not guesswork, but it's not always a hundred percent either. And Um, again, still a lot of room for error, depending upon how the samples were collected to how many samples were collected and how much information they really had to go on here. Uh, it's also possible these samples could be tainted either intentionally or by accident. Um, one thought that I had when, when reading this story, uh, a chimpanzee could have lived in the area uh, in a menagerie with uh, maybe within a few miles of this area and the DNA would have easily contaminated uh, a large area, uh, especially downwind from wherever it was kept, you know, kept in captivity, uh, could have easily contributed to the environmental DNA. There's, there's no doubt uh, about that. Um, there's also the possibility, and I think maybe this is where uh, this could be going, is that uh, this is old DNA from a species that is no longer living. Uh, so between 2011 and 2015, fossilized teeth uh, and a jaw fragment were unearthed in Oregon that led to the discovery of a lemur that lived in the area about 26 million years ago, uh, one of the last primates known to live in North America prior to us humans uh, encroaching in North America. Uh, but, you know, is it a new species? Maybe. It's also possible that DNA was added to the sample to create this headline, but we'll wait and see. And again, if this is uh, so cut and dry and so um, scientifically important that uh, there's a potential undocumented primate discovery in North America and Kentucky, 
Uh, this would be front page news. Uh, all the scientific outlets would be talking about this. Uh, there would be people out there digging up samples and and uh, doing more environmental DNA uh, studies. Uh, probably again, people digging up the dirt, looking for uh, jaw bones, teeth, fossilized pieces. Uh, maybe something exists that we could look at. Uh, but again, they dug under a tree structure, a supposed tree structure of a Bigfoot. And uh, this is where those eDNA samples uh, came from. So the assumption is that this is from a Bigfoot. Uh, the series finale of Ex Expedition Bigfoot, which includes analysis of this new evidence, debuts on Sunday, March 28th. Uh, set your DVR. I mean, I could tell you right now, it's going to end. They're going to hype it up as uh, they've discovered evidence of Bigfoot. And then toward the end, they'll say, well, yeah, you know, there's a room for error. And uh, we're going to we're going to try and look closer for next season. Cut to credits. Car commercial. And that's it. You know, that's what's going to happen. Um. I mean, it's it's exciting, but I think it's misleading at the same time. Um, but again, you don't, we don't know. It could go in a multitude of directions. Again, it could be uh, a, an ancient uh, primate that was in the area. Not likely that uh, primates were in that area. Um, so my guess, more than likely, is just contaminated uh, samples. Maybe locally, again, from a, a menagerie. Uh, primates, uh, but again, I, I think they would have been able to compare those samples and find that if that were true. But uh, you never know. You know what information is missing from this, um, what they're holding back, or anything like that. But again, if this were true, uh, truly describing an unknown primate, uh, whether it's Bigfoot or not, it's still a, a big story. Um, obviously, North American primates are, are not not uh, not well known. It's not a big. Uh, we don't hear about that all the time. So, um, I guess we'll have to wait for March 28th. Uh, but I'm sure there'll be more in the news about that. Probably after the show airs, uh, they'll probably uh, give out a little bit more information, and hopefully, uh, Ramos will publish that work. So other scientists can disseminate that, uh, those findings and that DNA and, and uh, see if they can find what this unknown primate thing is. And speaking of unknown, this is an interesting story that, uh, I don't know, it took me a few days to catch wind of this one. Uh, this one broke uh, a few days ago. Let's see, March 6th, though. Uh, Saturday. Um, so Missouri, show me state. Uh, do they still call it that? I don't know. Uh, it's known to have a lot of mountain lion sightings, which is exciting because it's kind of like the gateway between, well, I guess Ohio is in the Midwest. It feels like we're out in the eastern part of the United States, but uh, Missouri is not too far away from Ohio. And if mountain lions are in Missouri, I feel confident that they're potentially could make their way here in Ohio, which would be very, very exciting news for me. Um, but they do have confirmed mountain lion sightings. And unfortunately, these sightings are generally nothing but wandering males who are looking for new areas to occupy and as well to find a mate to have little, little mountain lions. Uh, generally, they move to the area and are never seen again. Uh, they don't really settle down until they find a mate, so they're constantly wandering and unfortunately never um, procreate. They never have little cats, little kittens running around, uh, so they uh, are not able to establish themselves, uh, despite a lot of people thinking that they do. They see them all the time. Uh, another big cat aspect shared not only in Missouri— uh, but in the eastern United States, uh, here in Ohio, Pennsylvania is a big state that I've heard about this. There's actually a football team. 
it uses the the Panthers, right? Um, yeah, Black Mountain Lions. There's a lot of people that think that Black Mountain Lions are running around all over the eastern United States. Despite no reliable sighting, scientists say that they cannot, uh, for the most part, appear melanistic or black. Uh, no one's ever seen one uh, black in the wild. No one's ever been able to breed one that way. Uh, just the DNA uh, just doesn't seem like it, it could uh, do it. And there's no real reason for them to do that because of the places that they live. Um yeah, but people still describe seeing them everywhere. So mountain lions, you know, we tend to, to use the word tawny to describe them. You know, that tan color. And they've got a white underbody, a little white on the face with a pink nose. Uh, but they also have red and gray phases, uh, especially the uh, Florida panthers. A lot of those are a gray color, dark gray, which is, uh, they look pretty cool. I've never seen one. I've seen pictures of them. Uh, so that could make them look a lot darker than what they are. Also, mountain lions are pretty smart animals. And if they, if you see one in the wild, they've probably been watching you for quite a while. Uh, you're not just going to stumble upon one uh, sitting there licking his paws. Uh, they're sure that he's, he or she has seen you or heard you or smelled you long before you've been able to find it. Uh, they're pretty smart. They'll put themselves uh, between the sun and you so you have a hard time seeing it. And a lot of times that'll make the cat look darker than what it really is. Light and shadow uh, play tricks on people's eyes. And also I've seen uh, personally investigated cases, let alone here on the show, uh, numerous times, numerous times people misidentify a house cat or even a dog, thinking that it's a, a black panther or a mountain lion or something else uh, large. They swear up and down it's a 200-pound creature stalking the night, uh, but it's really like a, a fat tabby cat that's maybe 15, 20 pounds. Um, but yeah, black panthers. So multiple witnesses in Highlandville, Missouri – not only swear they've seen a large black animal, they actually have some photographs to prove it. Granted, even the best photo of the animal doesn't show a lot of detail. Uh, short of a black figure, it looks like it's slinking pretty low to the ground. Uh, there's a large, a long tail. At least I'm pretty sure it's a long tail. It's uh, quite ambiguous, but we know it's not a thylacine. That's for sure. Uh, it's hard to tell exactly what it is. Uh, if I could see the head, it'd be a lot easier to identify. The tail is nice, uh, but I'd like to see a little bit more. So in the chat room, if you're watching live in the chat room, I've posted a picture here of this purported large black cat. It's what a lot of people say they've seen. Uh, again, kind of ambiguous. You see the, sh the body structure, but you don't see the head. And you do see a tail, long tail, long thin tail. But, you know, that could be a house cat. It could be a dog. We really don't know. Um, but I'll tell you, reading the story, I was kind of dismissive at first, uh, thinking that this was just a mistaken identity. But I heard a description. One of the women said, uh, her as a witness, she said that uh, not only is it black, but they've actually seen light brown spots on the cat. And that's, uh, that's a big deal to me because uh, a lot of people don't know or a lot of people are not aware that melanistic cats, you could call them uh, black panthers, which are actually leopards and jaguars, um, collectively known as black panthers. So, I mean, there are a couple of other cats that can appear melanistic, but it's it's pretty much the leopards and jaguars that get thrown into that Black Panther moniker. Uh, so they're not actually completely black. Uh, under certain light, they do look completely black, but if you've ever seen one up close or fairly close, uh, you can see the markings on them. Uh, they're, it's, they're pretty visible. So you can see the patterns. Uh, and that, to me, is an important clue uh, because it's 
a dog wouldn't have that. Uh, I think there are some some uh, cats that have that those markings as a black cat, but um, if they're close enough to see that and describe it as a hundred pound plus creature, then it's pretty. I don't. I want to. I don't want to say a hundred percent, but uh, I would say it's pretty convincing to me that possibly this could be a large cat, uh, probably a black panther. So again, either a leopard or a jaguar. Uh, so one witness says she's seen the animal about a dozen times. Now that is not big cat behavior. Uh, a big cat isn't going to hang around the area for a long period of time. Uh, they they're gonna they're gonna move around. Uh, they're gonna try to find somewhere to hunker down. They're gonna find a place to dominate. Uh, you know, get their area. They're gonna look for a mate. It's just normal things. Uh, we all do that, right? So why wouldn't cats do that? Um, but my guess with the description and the pictures, looking at the picture, um, I mean, if I had to say, if I had to lean toward one direction, uh, I would say this could be, could be, I'm not saying it is, uh, could be a black leopard based on the, the long slender shape and the long thin tail. Um, Jaguar is a little bit more stockier, body-wise a little bit more compact, a little bit thicker of a tail as well. Um, and leopards, you could see their, um, I can't remember the name of those things, but they're, they're spots basically. You could see those uh, a little bit easier than you can on um, jaguars from, from my experience, from what I've seen. Um, granted, we don't know. It could be anything. Again, it could be a house cat. Could be a dog. Uh, there's been uh, some videos, or I should say, uh, a witness and photographs of a creature thought to be a black cat ended up being a a dog. Um, so who knows? Uh, oh, rosettes. That's what they're called. Rosettes on the leopard. So. Who knows? Hopefully they do find this. Again, it's been uh, three days. I've not seen any update since the original story broke. Uh, if this person's seen this cat a dozen times, one would think that it would be still in the area. And it doesn't sound like animal, uh, I shouldn't say animal control, but the uh, local state, the uh, state ga guys, the game guys, they don't really care, which they usually don't. They don't take this stuff seriously ever. Uh, they do talk about if people do get photographs, uh, they'll come out and look at it and, and things like that, trying to measure to see the height, uh, which is what you need to do with the, the photograph that they have there, is uh, determine the height and the length of this creature uh, based on where it went through. Also, you could have gotten some prints off the ground, uh, maybe some other sign. Uh, granted, they don't want people going out. You know, They talk about safety, which is very, very important. We're going to talk about big cats like this. Uh, again, my thought that this could be a black leopard, and more than likely this would be an escaped exotic animal, escaped pet. Uh, it's more than likely declawed, and that's why it's hanging around the area. Uh, it's probably never been out on its own in the wild before. It's probably bred in captivity, really could not survive on its own, uh, especially if it's declawed. Uh, it has no way of gripping or taking down a prey. I probably was never taught how to do that anyway. It's always been spoon-fed or fork-fed meat, so it probably doesn't know how to fend for itself. I mean, nature does kick in to an extent, uh, but usually these cats die. Uh, they get really thin, and they just uh, they can't even move, and they just eventually die. But hopefully uh, this creature is found before that happens, or we identify it as a house cat or as a dog. Whatever. Uh, it's a very limited view, very ambiguous uh, photograph, uh, but hopefully more information comes in about that. So in case you're wondering, leopards, those guys are from Africa, Asia, and a small part of Europe, while jaguars, uh, other than being cars, 
Uh, they're also uh, big cats that roam South America through Southern Arizona. It's amazing too. And uh, I was showing, uh, I was at a, a paranormal convention. I was showing a, a kid uh, pictures of jaguars. And he's like, that's not a jaguar. Jaguars are black. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. No, they're not. Well, they are sometimes, but usually pretty rarely. Uh, they are rarely melanistic, uh, both the leopard and the jaguar. Uh, about 10% for leopards and less than 7% for jaguars. Uh, I've seen as low as 5. I've seen as high as 10, but uh, generally it's around 5 to 7%. Around 10 to 12% for leopards is, is what I've read through different sources, but... Uh, the reason why leopards are a little bit higher uh, is because these melanistic cats, they selectively uh, trigger this. It's uh, basically a camouflage technique in heavy jungle areas. And when they're in, uh, in captivity, you know, this is more uh, uh, people want the black, you know, the melanistic version. So they selectively breed that in captivity that's there's actually more black panthers in captivity than thought to be in the wild because uh you know it's desire more desirable to have a a black panther um than a, a, the normal looking uh colored one so it is what it is and again hopefully we find what this creature really is so I was looking uh, for some other stories tonight, and I kind of stumbled across this weird kind of a, a – I don't want to call it boring, but just kind of a – almost like a clickbait type of uh, headline. It says, six chilling ways to find out if your house is haunted. Usually those stories are pretty bad, uh, pretty boring kind of things, and it pretty much was. It was kind of a ways to kind of thumb through it, and it says you know stuff like – well, you saw a ghost. So if you have a ghost and you saw a ghost, you, you might have a ghost. Uh, lights flickering, doors opening by themselves. Uh, you're hearing strange noises. And the property has a dark past. Uh, okay, those are pretty pretty decent things. I was about ready to, to close that link out. Uh, when I spotted a really interesting story, and I didn't know that this uh, particular house was for sale previously, we've talked about... Uh, the Amityville Horror House, um, not Horror House, but Amityville Horror Home, uh, up for sale before um, Zach Bagan's uh, Indiana Haunted uh, Demonic House, whatever you want to call it, for sale, and uh, some other properties over the years. Uh, this is a, a pretty cool one, actually. Uh, I don't have the money. I'm sure I could sell a few things, but uh, I don't think I could afford this. Uh, Lizzie Borden. Her home is for sale in Fall River, Massachusetts. So um, not where murders happened or anything like that, but this is the, the home uh, she bought uh, after she was acquitted on August 4th uh, of the, I should say, of the August 4th, 1892 murders of her father and stepmother. Uh, the house is on the market. It was last on the market in 2018. The home was built in 1889, and uh, it's a pretty nice-looking house. I didn't – here, let me get a picture. A very nice house. Obviously, it's an older house, and yeah, it's not going to work. It's um, – I don't know. It's, 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 just, it's, just, it's just old. 1869, it's old, but it looks really, really neat on the inside. It's kind of crowded – around with other houses you wouldn't expect that um but probably these other houses encroached uh so the house has changed hands a lot of times over the years uh, supposedly was going to be in a uh, turned into a bed and breakfast but that never happened uh there's the uh fifty thousand dollar restoration effort and they're going to make this into a bed and breakfast so uh lizzie borden actually gave the house a name. She called it Maplecroft. And the name is etched in the stone stairs out front. 
Um, it's pretty cool. This link to this uh, story actually has uh, it's three floors, uh, 4,751 square feet. Uh, obviously, it's it's old. It's got a lot of wood. Uh, curved doorways, chandeliers, wallpaper. Uh, looks creepy. Looks very creepy. Uh, but it's for sale. You can buy it. It's actually, uh, the listing is on Realtor.com. And you can find it. 306 French Street, Fall River, Massachusetts. This house could be yours for $3,000 a month or $890,000. Seven bedrooms, three and a half bath. Well, here it says 3,935 square feet on a 0.41 acre lot. Oh, pretty cool. Maybe I'll put a bid in. Uh, then again, uh, maybe I won't. It's got a three-car garage. Uh, it's been on Realtor.com for 197 days. Uh, the home last sold in 2018 for $600,000. And... When you're buying a house, you always look at the price per square foot, right? Uh, they want $226 per square foot. Uh, again, single-family home built in 1887. I don't know. And you see the roof on this thing. Whew. I don't know. It's got new windows. That's a good selling point. I'm not sure, but uh, it's pretty cool to see uh, historical buildings like this for sale and historical buildings like this still around. Again, Lizzie Borden's house, uh, not where she lived, but actually she died there. So um, I guess that's pretty cool. Anyway, um, her wake was held in the house. That's right. She died uh, age 68 from pneumonia. And her wake was held in the parlor of Maplecroft. So that's something that uh, is an allure for this home. Uh, she was a huge animal lover. And she, uh, she set up a trust for the uh, Fall River Animal Shelter, which still receives money from her trust over 90 years later. Creepy. There's actually six fireplaces in Maplecroft. Each one is uh, functional. Wow. You can heat your home all winter long with the fireplaces. A lot of creepy looking rooms. Uh, I think they show more in this, um, this article. This article is from WPDH 101.5, the home of rock and roll. See a lot of these radio things always have these articles in it, but uh, pretty cool to look at these pictures and look at this house, especially after house hunting myself for uh, quite a while. Uh, I don't think this is the kind of it's got a nice backyard. I like that porch. Um, not the kind of house that I would buy, but uh, I thought I read somewhere here that uh, people were actually uh, there's a ghost investigation somehow. People are getting in there and doing, of course, right? Uh, I don't see that. Maybe somebody will buy it for that. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, I'm going to throw that in the chat room. Hopefully, I remember I've been really bad at doing this lately, the last few weeks, um, of putting stuff on Facebook. Facebook has been kind of a pain in the butt recently. Whoops. And uh, you know, I got to get back in the habit of sharing my links on there, as I as I promised to do. Uh, so I will do my best to do that. Uh, you really need to check out this house, so it's pretty cool. Of course, I can't get this thing to work. Um, but anyway, that's your show for this week. Uh, we'll keep an eye on some of these developing stories, and hopefully, we're going to have some new stuff popping in pretty soon. Been waiting for some UFO stuff. I don't know what's going on in the world of UFOs. Why nothing is really uh, happening, but um, usually it comes in bunches. Comes in bunches. 
So with that, I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.